chapter 10. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, the th- that's a little bit different, right? I know we're, we haven't been in Hebrews um, in any time recently, but uh, this is important for us on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because this is a place in the Bible where we're reminded that Jesus was given a, a body uh, and he used his body to serve and to bless others. Uh, so far in Hebrews, uh, the author's been showing us the supremacy of Jesus in relation to all the other heavenly beings. Uh, the supremacy of Jesus in relation to all of the, the priesthood, in relation to the law of Moses, and, and now to the sacrifices in particular. So uh, if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 here in Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is a quote from Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Father, would you please bless the reading and the hearing and the receiving of your word to us this morning. I pray that we would see Jesus more clearly. We would understand his sacrifice on us, on on our behalf, um, more deeply. And that we would would serve our our community and and love our neighbors uh, just more lovingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Uh, I want to pay particular attention to to this first part of Psalm 40 that's quoted here in Hebrews 10, where uh, we're told this is the voice of Jesus. Uh, The Psalms give us the voice of Jesus. And in Psalm 40, he says that a body you have prepared for me, that God's prepared a body for Jesus and uh, what that means for us. And the bodies that God gives us, that he's prepared for us, are given us to be given back to him, to be devoted to him, to be devoted to God. And that that we do that, we express that, uh, we make that visible in the ways that we use our bodies uh, to serve others, to sacrifice for others, right? Okay, Uh, so let's let's start with this whole uh, idea that, that Jesus looked at his own body as uniquely prepared for him. We just got done spending weeks, right, uh, talking about the incarnation, we did that all through Advent, how Jesus came as a, as a king, right? But, but he was a human being, uh, a very, very special human being to be sure. Uh, but he had a body just like each one of us, that, that the word became flesh. God was embodied uh, and, and 
he became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to be with us. And we, we've seen his glory that way, full of grace and truth. So God prepared a body for Jesus, just as we're reading here as Psalm 40 gets quoted, um, that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. And then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Um, Jesus has an awareness that the body he has was given to him, prepared for him by God for a purpose. There's, there's a will that he's, he's going to carry out, God's will, uh, that's expressed in all of the laws that are written in the book, right? Uh, all of God's commandments, etc. So God was embodied in order to do something. God prepared a body for Jesus to do God's will. And I want you to think about this for a second. God was embodied... Jesus took on a human body in order to do something that he could not do. He was not able to do without a body. There was something that God could not do without a human body. What was that? What was God dependent upon becoming human, fully God, fully human? What, did, what was that fully human part? Why was that so important? What could God not do without a body? And, and that's really what Hebrews has been discussing up to this point. Jesus came in the flesh as a solution to this imperfect sacrificial system where Hebrews has been telling us that, that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to effectively take away human sin, right? Um, that's why the question gets raised in verse 2. Look, would they not have ceased to be offered if they were effective, if they were perfect, if they could have done their job? Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But that's not the case. The, the Old Testament sacrifice with all of those animals, all of that, that whole, an entire sacrificial system uh, was not effective to take away sin. It was not effective to cleanse conscience, consciences, but it was effective for one thing. It was effective as a reminder, right? Do you see that in verse three? In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So you know, you may be going, what? Wait a minute. I thought the sacrifices took away the sins. That's why they were being offered, right? Well, in a sense, sort of, kind of. It's, a, it's one of those already and, and, and more yet to come, more to come, which I liked how um, David Sawyer was putting that a couple of weeks ago. So yes, in a, God, God was being merciful. God was giving uh, grace to his people, his repentant people who understood, look, I'm a sinner, uh, I, I deserve to be held accountable for my sin. I actually deserve heavenly condemnation for breaking heaven's perfect, holy commandments. Turning my back on God, doing my own thing, being a, a rebel in his kingdom. I, yeah, there's a consequence for that. And that humbles me. I want to tell the truth about myself. I want to, I want to acknowledge the truth about God. I am guilty And I need grace. I need a covering. 
And God said to everyone who acknowledges that, come, come. I'm, I'm, that's what all of these animals, that's what all the, the blood that was shed was pointing to is that God was going to provide a covering, that there would be a substitute that would, that would come and, and sufficiently take away our sin. But don't misunderstand. A ram or a bull could never do that for a human being. A, a, a sheep, you know, or, or a lamb could never do that for a human being. A goat or a pigeon could never do that for a human being because it's not one for one. It's not a true substitute. All that, all that the, the sacrifices really could do was point to a God who's making a provision, who is merciful, and who is making a promise that one day a true, full, lasting, effective sacrifice would come. Would come. And so those sacrifices are a reminder year after year, keep repenting. Stay humble. Know, know your need. Know the, the position of grace that you need to stay in rather than taking on a position of entitlement. Like, I deserve God's grace. I deserve to stand before him because I'm such a good person. No, the, the, the sacrifices are the evidence that we fall short. That we need grace. We need a covering. And along comes Jesus. A body you've prepared for me. I've come to do your will. Well, what is that will? The thing that God could not do unless he took on human flesh and took on a body was to take away sins. To be our substitute. Jesus stood in our place uh, and he, he says, I've come to, to do your will. And that means to keep all of God's commandments and to live the life that human beings were designed to live. This life of beauty and love and perfection, he did that perfectly. Never strayed, never faulted. Always, always, always was loving the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. Never, never fell short of that. And because that's true of Jesus, that when our, by faith, we're united to him, when, when we're um, connected to him and, and covered by him, the record of Jesus' obedience and righteousness gets applied to us. He is our righteous representative. Do you get that? Because of his goodness, we are, are reckoned as good, considered good, because we're united to him. Not because we're good in of ourselves, not because I've obeyed all the laws, but because Jesus did. He's my representative. He's my righteousness. That's a good deal. And because he was embodied, he was also able to stand in my place as my sin-bearing substitute. And he went to a cross. The one who was perfectly loving, perfectly righteous, and actually did earn his place in heaven, earn the right to stand before God, blameless and faultless, instead went to a cross and took the punishment of a criminal took our sin on himself, took our blame and our shame on himself as our sin-bearing substitute, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that, that those who believe in him would have their sins removed as far as the east is from the west. We wouldn't no longer be any, have any condemnation over us because of our faith in Jesus, who took that condemnation in our place, stood in our place. And that is what Jesus could do with our body as a human being, as our human righteous representative and as our human sin-bearing substitute. Does that make sense? God couldn't do that without a body. A body you've prepared for me. Jesus is quoting Psalm 40. Yeah, Israel is God's people. We're using the Psalms as their hymn book for 
centuries, and yet they are God's voice speaking through his people, ultimately Jesus' voice speaking through his people. Uh, And so we can echo that too, right? That that as much as Psalm 40 is is the voice of Jesus, it's our voice. Um, It's our voice saying that God has prepared a, a body for us. So we have to ask the question, what about the bodies that we have? And what is God's will for us as we think about how he's uniquely prepared our bodies for us, for his purposes, for his will, to be devoted to him. Uh, you're probably familiar with Psalm 139, but if you're, if you're new to the Bible or new to church, uh, this, is, these are, this is a fantastic place to see God affirming the same truth, again, from the Psalms, right? Psalm 40, Psalm 139, where it says, you formed my inward parts and you, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, for your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So you can probably hear the parallels going on here between Psalm 139 and 140, a body you've prepared for me, you know, you knit me together. Um, I've come to do your will, it was written in your book, and you know, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me so that I could live according to the purpose that God gave me a body for. So there's a lot of, a lot of overlap, a lot of common ground here between us and Jesus. And, and so we have to think about our bodies as very holy things. Our bodies are, are sacred. There's a sanctity to how God prepared bodies for us. And I like how Lauren <clears throat> Winter put, put it in her book, Real Sex. She says, God created us with bodies, God himself incarnated in a human body. Jesus was raised again from the dead with a body. And one day we too will be resurrected with our bodies. And that is the beginning of any Christian ethic of how Human beings in bodies interact with other bodies. Human bodies, God and his human body, um, God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. All of that happens as we think about this whole notion that he's prepared a body for us to serve him, to be devoted to him, to glorify him. So, our, uh, you know, we, we affirm that, and, uh, and yet there's a problem. There's a problem because... Like on the one hand, we, we, we can hear and agree with Psalm 40, a body you've prepared for me. Okay, yeah, I know I'm supposed to say amen to that. Uh, and you hear Psalm 139, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, got it. Not, you know, we, we sing about that. That's good. But see if you resonate with where else Lauren Winter uh, goes. I'm, I'm going to continue reading from, from her book. She says that we Christians get embarrassed about our We are not always sure that God likes them very much. We're not sure whether bodies are good or bad. God created people with bodies and God declared that they were good. It is sometimes hard for us modern day Christians to grasp that central fact. It's hard to to live out what we say we believe. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That my soul knows it very well. Does your soul agree 
that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you know that very well? Here's, here's the test. Stand in front of your bathroom mirror naked. <laughs> and, then, and then you'll know whether or not you really believe my soul knows it very well. Because when you stand in front of a mirror, like, let me just put it this way. What, what parts of your body do you have a hard time with? What parts of your body are, are, don't look right, don't feel right, aren't right, whatever it is? You just look at your, you know, this part or that part, and you go, ugh. And you can probably start listing off on two, you need two hands, two parts of your body to just list off the number of things about your body that you're not happy with. But if I were to ask you, what's the one part of your body, what's a part of your body that you're really, really happy with, that you think, man, God, you nailed it. Are you standing in front of that mirror and you're like, yeah, yeah, God. Does anything come to mind besides Chris's hair? Now you just go, that, that's so far from our thinking. We don't stand in front of the mirror and thank God for, you know, a nose that works and ears that work or whatever, you know, that works. We stand in front of the mirror and we go, oh, I don't like that. I wish that was different. I wish that looked like so-and-so. Or I wish, you know, this was changed somehow. Or, you know, and then we just look at good old entropy's effect on our bodies and we go, whew, man, it's been a while since I felt or looked, you know, whatever, you know, you fill in the blank. So, man, we just have a hard time saying, saying amen. Do our souls really know this very well? And, and so if it's hard for you to, to think that your body is fearfully and wonderfully made, if that's a struggle for you, how much more is it a struggle to believe that the body of my neighbor is prepared by God uniquely for them, for the world? If we struggle to believe that about ourselves, how much more is that a struggle uh, for, for uh, us to believe that about others? And yet, you know, we see very clearly that our, our bodies are given to us for God's glory. We're to be devoted to God. Uh, Isaiah, you know, 48 puts it this way. Uh, God says, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, the people I created, uh, who I called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Like he's made us, he's created us, and all of our bodies are given to us so that we would glorify God. That means bodies of all ages. It means young bodies. That means 20-something bodies. That means middle-aged bodies. That means old bodies. That means unborn bodies. Bodies of all ages. Bodies of all ability. Bodies that are healthy, great. And bodies that are sick. Bodies that have all their faculties and bodies that are limited in their faculties. All of these bodies are given for the glory of God. And bodies of all colors, right? All, all colors. So does skin color have any bearing on God getting glory. You're supposed to say no. Actually, yes. But it's not what you think. It's not what the racists will think. Yeah, it does. Uh, last week we were talking about Jesus and uh, 
John Piper said that the fame and greatness and, and worth of an object of beauty increases in proportion to the diversity of those who recognize its beauty. And so, yes, the, the skin color has a bearing on God getting glory, but not because God prefers one skin color over another, but because God enjoys having all these different people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation coming before his throne to recognize, yeah, he is the center of reality. Yes, he is the most beautiful. He is the perfect. He is the, the, the center. He's the one who orients reality. And the more people recognize that, the better this world is, the more blessed it's going to be. And so, yes, that does matter. But all that to say that all of our bodies are given to us for the glory of God, no matter their age or their ability or their color, because these bodies were prepared by God for service and devotion to God and, and, and then service reflected, reflecting that devotion to others. The world doesn't believe this. Our culture doesn't believe this. If, if you believe this good, you know, certainly the Bible's uh, teaching us this, but our culture and our world doesn't live this way. It's embraced something very, very contrary. It's a Darwinian perspective where the, the, the fit survive, the fittest survive, they come out on, on top. And the weak are destined to die. A few people are willing to just come out and say it. But if that's the, if, if that's the groundwater, you know, if that's what's flowing underneath, then, then shouldn't we just get on and decrease the surplus population? If the fittest are really the ones that are going to survive, maybe it's the right thing, the, the expeditious thing to help the fit survive even quicker. Let's move this progress forward faster. Which is a really, really dangerous place to be. It's bubbled up, interrupted from time to time, even on the world stage. Let's talk about abortion. Um, so, what is, uh, why does an abortion happen? It happens because, you know, a child is not wanted. Uh, so, if it's an unplanned pregnancy or if there's an amniocentesis that shows that maybe something, you know, isn't developing correctly or, or right, then, you know, um, abortion is put on the table as an option. And they think, well, let's terminate the pregnancy, which we all know you're not just terminating a pregnancy, you're terminating a child. And since that child uh, is maybe going to be weak in some way or developmentally disabled in some way or just not wanted and so, you know, is going to be emotionally a wreck and, you know, financially a drain and so on, let's just, let's just go ahead and, and get rid of the child. So uh, latest figures, national figures for the U.S. by the Guttmachter Institute come from 2017. In 2017, in the United States, there were over 862,000 abortions nationwide. It's a big number. It's hard to wrap your head around that. Let's just talk about Virginia. Same year, most recent figures, 2017, there were 17,200 abortions in Virginia. Um, Nancy Miller came up to me after the first service. She used to be uh, a school principal in our county, and uh, she said, you know, if you take all of the schools, all the school-age kids in Waynesboro, Stanton, and Augusta, it's roughly 17,000 kids. Imagine Every kid in every school, gone. That's what happened in Virginia three years ago. 
and since 1973, when Roe v. Wade was made legal, there's been over 61.6 million aborted children. Like, how many Jewish people died in the Holocaust? Six million? Ten times. Ten times that amount. Um, I think most of us, some of us haven't, but I think most of us have, had, have come close, brushed up against you know, either an unplanned pregnancy or a dangerous pregnancy or um, uh, an unwanted pregnancy or you know, knew somebody or have experienced that ourselves. Um, Some of you are aware of this, but let me, let me share a little bit about my background. Um, I was born in 1970, in October, October 7th, 1970. And, um, and I've always wondered kind of like, uh, what, was, what were the circumstances around when I was born? Because uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was three, and I've never seen any pictures ever of their wedding. I don't know that there's even one that exists, probably, but I've never seen it. And they, were ta- they never talked about their wedding, and I'd always wondered, kind of like, what? when did they get married? What was that all about? And it wasn't until about six years ago that that puzzle piece, you know, was finally laid into the picture of my own background. And then there was a marriage license that I found from my uncle, a copy of it. Uh, and my mom and dad got married in April of 1970. You do the math. Um, So I was kind of an unplanned kid. I was their first child. Um, My dad was a teacher at Old Dominion University, taught printmaking, and my my mom is an art student. There's no shade being cast, it's just the facts, it's just how I came into the world. I'm not making any assumptions by any stretch, but I, I do wonder, like, man, that was 1970. What, what, happened, what would have happened if that had been three years later? What maybe choices would they have been facing? So I don't know how personal abortion is in, in your story or, you know, um, or unplanned pregnancies are in your story, but uh, it would be foolish for me to think that there are those here who have not experienced abortion firsthand. I want to remind you of what we just affirmed looking at Hebrews chapter 10 and Psalm 40. Why did God prepare a body for Jesus? To do God's will. What was God's will? To come and be our righteous representative? To make us right before God? To make us clean in his eyes? To take away our guilt and our shame? To be our sin-bearing substitute? To, to die in our place? To remove the condemnation so that there's nothing left to pay? We're free. We're free. And so are you. That's why Jesus came. Embrace that. 
and believe that. Be free of your guilt. Be free of your shame. And then as we think more about, you know, how we're supposed to live this life of sacrificing for others, instead of sacrificing others, we, you know, I was really helped by a book that our, our neighbor up the street, Lamont, gave me um, to borrow. It's called King Rules. Alveda King wrote this. Uh, she was the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. And so she talks about growing up uh, with her dad and with her uncle, you know, her famous uncle, and, uh, and, and just being in Atlanta and growing up in their home. Uh, so her uh, grandfather was a pastor. Martin Luther King's dad was a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist. And Martin Luther King Jr. became the pastor there. And so just the life, life in the King family. In one of the chapters here, she talks about abortion. And she says that the baby inside a pregnant woman is not her body. The baby is a distinct human being who should have all the rights that we convey on people outside of the womb. The woman carrying that baby should have no more right to kill that child than she would have once the baby is born. Abortion is not a civil right. It is an abrogation of the civil rights of an innocent and entirely defenseless human being. Unless you kind of think, all right, well, she's standing on her soapbox or whatever. No, no, no. Alveda had a very personal experience with abortion. She, she'd had two abortions before she got pregnant a third time and was considering a third abortion and then sat down with her granddad, Daddy King, with her grandfather, and he said, um, girl, they are lying to you. That is a baby, not a lump of flesh. And it turns out, Alvita learned that Daddy King had had a very, very similar conversation with Alvita's own mother, who was pregnant in an untimely way and was considering terminating the baby, Alveda. I just want you to see kind of where, you know, the rights of an unborn child and, and civil rights and human rights and the sanctity of life all overlap. It all overlaps. And it teaches us how we're supposed to, to live as those who serve others and sacrifice for others instead of asking others to sacrifice for us. I don't want to whitewash anything. I, I would say, I would imagine, um, and, and I've heard testimony again and again and again, that it is incredibly hard to sacrifice someone else for your gain, especially if it relates to abortion. That is a painful, painful decision for any woman to make. But you know it's harder? It's harder to decide to sacrifice yourself for the benefit and the blessing of others. It takes more energy, it costs more, but it's essential to the gospel. That's what Ephesians 5 tells us, to be imitators of God as dearly loved children and to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our bodies were given to us by a loving God to devote ourselves to God by sacrificing ourselves for others. It's what Paul tells us in Romans 12, to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. It's our, it's our worship. So how can we uh, just wrap up with better sacrificing uh, for others, how to devote ourselves to God? Well, you know, 
We continue to care for vulnerable children and scared moms and dads. We do that through partnership with Comfort Care. We do that through ministry with groups like Young Lives. And we do that through supporting adoptions and foster care and all those different ways that, you know, we're trying to advocate for the defenseless, the vulnerable, the scared, and, you know, just those who are faced with really, really painful choices. We do that. And we get dirt under our fingernails and we we step out in faith to to sacrifice ourselves so that others won't have to make those sacrifices. And we not only do that for, you know, young little lives, but we do that for people with disabilities. Uh, We we love the ministry of Capernaum, uh, a ministry of young life that we talked about in that discipleship hour with Carol um, right before this service. Uh, Let me remind you of what Henry Nouwen said, that after all, you know, when you think about what is a disability, everyone, everyone, all of us, shares the handicap of mortality our bodies consistently stop working the way they're supposed to. We lose abilities as we grow older until eventually we die. Talk about a handicap. I can't do anything. I'm dead. All of us shares the handicap of mortality. Our individual physical, emotional, and spiritual failures are just symptoms of this disease. So there's a lot of solidarity here with those who have disabilities. And we want to care for people and sacrifice for people with disadvantages, whether they're homeless and need to hang out at Warm, or whether they're at Winona Elementary and are facing a lot of economic uh, struggles, or whether they're at the food pantry and need help, or whether they're immigrants and need help, or whether they're inmates and need help, like across the board. Just these people have been given bodies by God to devote themselves to God, and we're wanting to serve them and sacrifice for them. And it just goes to every person you meet. No matter how different they are with their religion or how different they are with their politics or how different they are with their color or how different they are from their country or how different they are, you know, you fill in the blank. You've got to look at them as people who have the image of God, who have a body just like we do, that God prepared for them so that they would be devoted to God. They would serve others. Maybe they're doing that, maybe they're not. doesn't matter. Treat them as they would. So the Sanctity of a Human Life Sunday is just this great reminder that all of human life is sacred. We, we mean that. We want to live that way. We want to believe that about ourselves, and we want to believe that about ourselves. All human beings, all human bodies have been prepared by God for a purpose. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, would you um, bless us and bless our bodies, and please set them apart to be devoted to you, as instruments of worship, uh, as a, a way that we, we sacrifice ourselves, um, not to, to earn your um, forgiveness or to earn your approval, but because you sacrificed yourself for us. And we do this to serve others and to bless them and to help them participate, help them to taste and to see uh, that you are good, that you sent Jesus to be our righteous representative and to be our sin-bearing substitute and to give us uh, a part in your new creation. Um, Where there's lots of things wrong with our bodies, but there's also lots of things that are really, really wonderful, fearfully and wonderfully made for us. And that at the same time, we, we do long for the perfecting of our bodies, the perfecting of this world, the day when you will come and make all things new. Give us hope until that day, we pray in Jesus' name.